Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to the day when we will be around your throne forever and ever and ever. Where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death. Lord, we'll be reunited with those who've gone before us who love you. And we look forward to seeing our Savior face to face above all else. We look so forward to that, Lord. And I just pray until you come, may we be found doing. Father, may we live our lives in anticipation of your soon and quick return. Father, we pray right now for our time in the Word, that you would be our teacher. Lord, I just pray for each one of us, that our hearts would be receptive to hear from you. I pray also, Lord, that it would not be a man who teaches, but it would be your Spirit, Father. I pray that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You want to have a seat? Turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Manny will be happy to loan you one. And again, as I say all the time, if you don't have one at home, please take that one as our gift. Numbers chapter 13. Uh, Bill and I were talking. I'm pretty excited that... uh, How many of you guys have heard... I'm sure most of you. How many have heard of the Passion movie, Mel Gibson? Coming out here in a few weeks. I get Bill called today, and they're going to have it on two, the two biggest screens at the Signature 9. So praise the Lord for that. I'm thinking about going Wednesday morning at 10.30 to the first showing on the day it comes out. But uh, we're talking about maybe doing something, too, where we can get together one evening and go down there as a church. But I think we should all see it. I know some people have been concerned, like, Pastor Dave, do you really want to see that? You know what? I think we need to see what our Savior went through. Amen. We need to have a greater understanding. It should never grow common with us. I know it's not going to be easy to watch in some ways, but I think we need to see it and realize what our Savior did for us. Well, Numbers chapter 13. I titled the message tonight, Faith in God or Fear of Man. And those two things really are polar opposites. If you have faith in God, you will not have fear of men. And if you're faithless, you will fear man all the time. And we're going to see in the text tonight that Israel because of their faithlessness, is going to fear man. And I also put that we need to learn to trust the promises of God because the reason that they were faithless is they didn't trust what God had told them. You know, we can say that we trust God, but do we live it? Those are two different things to say, yes, Lord, I believe what your word says, but are we living it out every day? Those are two different things. And that's what we're going to see in Israel tonight. We're going to, they, they say they believe God and they want to follow Him, But as we've been watching them uh, heading out of of, uh, Mount Sinai, that they've been blowing it all along the way. So God had made promises to the children of Israel just as He has to you and I. He's always always been faithful to fulfill them. I want to read something to you that ties into the text tonight. This is out of Exodus. I'll just read it to you. You don't need to look there. It's chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. It says, Moreover, He said, "I I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face... For he was afraid to look upon God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, that's a promise, right? God said, I'm coming, and I'm going to deliver them out of bondage, and I'm going to take them into the land of promise. This is a promise. When God promises, that's it. Amen? God says that that settles it. 
Now, I haven't been 100% faithful to this in my lifetime, but one of the things I tell my kids, if I say, Daddy promises, if I'm not there, I must be dead. I'll never forget one time, it was my son's kindergarten, bring Daddy to, to, work, to school day. And you're supposed to go to and share about your job. And, and I had promised my son I would take him. And, and to make a long story short, I ended up getting sent out of town. And I had like four days' worth of work up in Arnold, if you guys know where that is. And I get up there and literally, to make, I, I worked 14 hours a day for two days to get all my work done because I had to be back for Daddy Day in kindergarten. Because if you tell your kids, I promise, if you don't show up, they don't understand that work called you out of town. All they understand is I'm not that important. You said you promised, you didn't mean it. Let me tell you something. I break my promises sometimes. God never does. And he had promised the children of Israel, I'm going to deliver you out of bondage, and I'm going to take you into the land of promise. But sadly, though God had been faithful and revealed himself over and over to the children of Israel, they remained faithless. What have they seen God do? They saw him bring the plagues. They saw the miracles. They saw his supernatural protection with the pillar of fire holding off the Egyptian army. They saw him part the Red Sea. He was providing daily manna for them every single day. He saw, they saw God giving them divine direction and everything that God did, and yet they still remained faithless. Because the problem, again, is that they heard the promises, but they didn't really put it into action. They didn't really have faith that God meant what he said. You know what? I believe that we all struggle with this to a certain extent. If we truly believed that sin has the consequences God promises, wouldn't we take sin more seriously? If we truly believed with our whole heart that God desires for us to walk in holiness, and every time that we do, that it breaks fellowship with Him, wouldn't we pursue holiness with a greater passion? But what happens sometimes in our walk with God, we know we got the get out of hell free card in our wallet, we know we're going to heaven, and we just kind of, well, whatever happens between now and then, it's all good because God's forgiven me anyway. But we need to read what His promises are in His Word and the calling that He's placed upon our lives. But we see that this rebellion is going to continue in the heart of the, of the Israelites. They've been at Mount Sinai just to catch you up. And if you remember, that they've been at Mount Sinai for about 11 months. And during the time that they were there, God had done several things. First of all, He numbered the people. If you remember that, He numbered them because He cared about every individual. He encamped them in a divine order. They were encamped in a what? In a cross. And they were headed to the land of promise. In the center of the, of the cross was the tabernacle where God's glory dwelt. He gave them divine instruction as to what each family was to do. They all had a calling on their life, and they were to head to the land of promise, dwelling in tents, a picture of us. We've been delivered from bondage, just as they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. We've been delivered from the bondage of sin. We're now encamped in the cross of Christ. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're headed to the land of promise, and He gives us divine direction by the Holy Spirit being within us and His Word. He gave them divine direction by what? What moved? The cloud. And when the cloud moved... They were to follow. That made them keep their eyes up. The cloud was right above the tabernacle, and they had to look. And if the cloud moved, they needed to be ready. But then what confirmed the move? What, what happened? The trumpet blew. And so the cloud would move, and they would hear the trumpet, and then they would move. Now we know that they were obedient thus to this part of it. They heard that they would hear it, they would move, but sadly, we're going to see that their heart wasn't in it. And we saw it a couple weeks ago that three days into their journey, what did they begin to do? They began to what? Complain and murmur. You remember that? And they started to complain and murmur because, man, you know, we were chilling in Mount Sinai for a year and now we're walking and we're carrying stuff. And they started to murmur against God. 
And then after that, they began to murmur about something else. What was the second thing they murmured about? The manna. You know, we're getting these cream-filled donuts falling out of the sky that are good for us, but it's just not good enough, right? It says it's made out of a, like a pastry with, a, with a, a sweet oil taste to it. And, but they're just whining about remembering Egypt. Remember, they got a selective memory. They're thinking, man, you know, back in Egypt we had garlic and leeks and onions. And as I said the last couple of weeks, what about the beatings you had back in Egypt? You forgotten about that part? Yeah, but they just remember, select the memory, just like we are with our sin. You think back about things that you did that were sinful, and somehow you remember the, the pleasure, because sin is pleasurable for a season, the Bible says. But there's consequences that come with it, and we tend to remember, you know, man, it was great going out with my buddies and partying, and we don't remember the next day, you know, barfing. Right? You don't remember the, the, the splitting headache at work and you know, walking around with squinted eyes, right? But we, you remember the, the sin is pleasurable for a season. We have selective memories, and so too did, did the Israelites. Man, Egypt was great. We had leeks and onions and fish. And now all we got is manna. God dropping something out of the sky and feeding us with it. Encamped in the cloud. You know, in Egypt, they were in the heat of the day making bricks all day, having whips put on their back. Now they're walking under the coolness of a cloud having food fall out of the sky, and they're whining. Now, if you remember, they whined so hard, there's three million people whining. Do you remember this? And what were they whining about? We want meat. Give us some flesh, right? And it says at one point, they're all standing in their tents just whining, three million of them. And remember what happened to Moses? What did Moses do? He said, Lord, what? Kill me. You know, Lord, what did I do to deserve this church? right? Lord, I, I got three million whiners in my church. Thanks a lot, right? We deliver them out of bondage. We cross the Red Sea. Now they're all standing in the tent whining because they don't have meat. They were focused on the temporal and they were complaining about their circumstances. Now then it caused Moses to start doing what? Complaining. And again, you can't, you don't blame Moses as much, but we got to be careful. We look around and we see the world complaining and then we want to complain that people are complaining. And that's what Moses did. Oh man, these people are a bunch of complainers, man. Lord, I don't, you know. And the reality is that we're supposed to be different than the world. When the whole world around you is complaining, we need to be shining as, as bright lights. Amen? You know what? Do we have anything to complain about? What's the answer to that? No. Are you going to heaven? You're going to heaven. You're ha ha heaven bound, as DC Talk would say, right? You're going to heaven. You're a new creation in Christ. You've been born again. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been delivered out of the land of bondage. The, the same thing was happening. They've been delivered. They're under the cloud. They're encamped in the cross. They're headed to the land of promise, and they're complaining. But when we complain, we're doing the same thing. Because we, too, are headed to the land of promise. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Remember what happened that God then gave 70 elders to help Moses. You remember that? Gave him 70 elders. He poured out the same Spirit upon them. They had a calling to come alongside him and to serve. That's what elders are called to do. Elder, pastor, bishop, same word. They're called to serve and have spiritual leadership in the church. They are not to be served. They are to serve. Pastor means under rower. You don't serve me, I serve you. The pastors here, you don't serve them, they serve you. The Bible says you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. That's what they're called to do. Now, he moves along, and we saw that they ate the flesh. Remember what happened? What did, what did God bring down? Quail. And what happened? They put it in their mouth, and what happened? It became a plague in their mouth, and they died, right? And it's interesting how God brings judgment sometimes. Sometimes he judges us by giving us what we've asked for. 
I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And God's like, that's contrary to my will. I want it, I want it. This is not good for you. I want it, I want it. And guess what happens? He says, okay. And he gives it to them. And what happens? They eat it and it kills them. Never forget when my daughter was little, she used to go in, into the kitchen and she always wanted to reach up on the counter. Well, part of that counter was a stove, right? And I, used to, I remember all the time having to take her hand and hit her little hand and go, Ashley, don't put your hand up there because sometimes there's a fire up there and there's hot things and you're going to get burnt. And I forget one time she reached up and grabbed a pot of hot water and pulled it back and it poured on her chest. And now daddy was at fault. You know, like, she's looking at me like, ah, how did you let this happen to me, right? All those times of, you know, and you know what? She never went near that stove again, you know? But sometimes that's what we do. We go and say, you know, I want you, and God's going, no, it's going to burn you. It's going to hurt. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. And we just keep going, and finally the Lord says, I'm not going to force you to follow me. And he let them have their will, but in the end it, was a dest- it led to destruction. And then last week we saw the, the green-eyed monster enter into the camp, if you were here. Remember that? The green-eyed monster of envy. So not only did he have three million whining people in his church, but he had a brother and sister named Miriam and Aaron. Miriam was the prophetess, and Aaron was the high priest. And when this, I believe part of it was these new 70 elders, they saw an erosion of their authority. And what did they do? They started to complain against their brother. Miriam specifically was complaining about her brother. And as she complained about him, God brought some swift judgment. What did he do to her? He gave her leprosy. Leprosy is a picture of sin. What does leprosy do? It separates us. It breaks fellowship with God, just like sin does in our lives. It broke fellowship with God. She was put outside the camp. It was a sin that she could not hide. Leprosy was a disease that everybody saw. And so he goes from having three million murmurs in his body, okay, of the Israelites, and now he's got his own leaders that should have been holding up his hands who are murmuring and complaining, what is envy? Envy is saying, why you and not me? It's not fair. What you have, why don't I have it? The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. You know what? We need to be content in whatever state we're in. So Paul said, I can be content whether I'm, poor, whether I'm rich or abased, whether I've got it all or got nothing. When you realize that Jesus Christ is all you need, then you can be content with whatever else you have. Amen? And that's where, where we need to be as believers. Miriam's pride and jealousy had personal consequences upon her, but it also had impacted the camp because what happened to the camp? They all had to wait until she was healed. And I love Moses' example here because this really ministered to me. She had leprosy. Why? Because she spoke against Moses. And God gave her leprosy. How did he respond to that? What did Moses do? He prayed for her to be healed. And I talked about this last week, how, you know, in my flesh, I might have said, let her have it for a while, right? You know, and again, you know, maybe put on a t-shirt that says, you know, talk trash about Mo, this could be you, right? I mean, you know, drag her through camp, have her go, oh, leprosy. And, you know, and he could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he prayed for her. And remember when people speak against you, it's not easy to, pr- to do this, but I want to encourage you, pray for them, amen? The easiest thing to do is get even and be vengeful. And how do you, who do you think you are talking to me that way, you know? That's our flesh. Start praying for them. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. What does it do? It changes our hearts. If you start praying for somebody that's coming against you, God will change your heart toward them. He didn't defend himself. He left it in God's hands. God was the one that both brought judgment and then he brought healing. Now that brings us to chapter 13. Because I want you to see they've been murmuring all along. Murmuring all along. And now we're going to see 
that they've been traveling for some time, and it's time for them now to, to enter into the land of promise. And we're going to see how they respond. And I want to show you that I believe that they were w- totally outside of God's will. So faith in God or fear of man, learning to trust in God's promises. The first thing we're going to see, men sent in to spy out the land. And this is going to happen because Moses listens to men when he should have been listening to God. We're going to then see the names of the men sent in. We're then going to also see Moses send these guys in to look at the physical attributes of the land. Go check out the circumstances before we go. Finally, we're going to see the 40 days they spend in the land and then the spies as they come back and give an account of what took place. Let's begin in verse 1 of Numbers 13, looking at men sent to spy out the land. Look at verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader, among them. So if you look at this on the surface, doesn't it look like God is the one commanding them to send the spies out? Does it look like that? Yes, it does. We are to seek and look at the whole counsel of God. Amen? Because don't we also see in 1 Samuel the Lord telling them to anoint Saul king? Doesn't he do that? Yes, he does. But why did God allow them to make Saul king? Because the people murmured for a king. Give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. And he said, look, I'm your king. And if you take a king, he's going to bring nothing but disaster to your people. He's going to enslave your children. He's going to take you into war. And in the end, you're going to cry out and want to get rid of him. They said, give us a king anyway. I believe these are the exact same circumstances. And again, I'm going to read this to you. You don't need to turn there. If you're taking notes, you can just... I, don't like, I like to keep people in one text. I don't like racing around the Bible. But I want to read it to you. And we're going to see here again, I think, the, the rest of the picture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. You can write it down to make sure that it really says this. It says, So when he departed from Horeb and went through all the great terrible wilderness, which you saw on the way of the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us, then we came to Kadesh Barnea. Now that's where they are at the beginning of this chapter. And I said to you, you have come to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set up the land before you. Go up and possess it. And the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. Now that's pretty clear. God speaks to him and sa- and through Moses and says, go into the land, it's yours. I told you already back in Exodus to, that the land belonged to you. I told you I was going to take you out of bondage and give you the land of the Canaanites. Now it's time to go. We're at the foothills. Head on in. How do the people respond? It says, And every one of you came near to me. This is Moses speaking about the people. Saying, Let us send men before us, and let them search out the land and bring back word to us of the way which we should go up, and the cities which we shall come to. And the plan pleased me well, so I took twelve men, one of each tribe. So, I believe this is in response again to the people clamoring out. God said, I want you to go, go. Did he promise them to give them the land? Yes. Is there any reason to send spies in first? No. He said, you're here, go possess it. Then it said, all the people came and said, well, we don't know what we're going to face up there. So why don't we get some guys to run in first and find out what it's like and then come back and tell us. And then the Lord, just like when he said, anoint Saul king, now he says, okay, send the guys in. That's what the people are clamoring for. That's what you want. Go ahead, send the spies in. We're going to see several uh, proves to me in this text this is exactly what happened. Because we're going to see what happens when the spies go. It doesn't work out too well. 
We're going to find out they don't become more faithful. They become very faithless. God had set the land before them. He told them not to be discouraged, but they didn't want to go. They wanted to make sure. Go check it out first. Now, I want to encourage you with something. The Bible does say to count the cost, right? Before you make a decision to do something, you should count the cost. But if God has commanded you to do something, when you start questioning God and you start wanting to check out every detail before you take a step, that's not faith. That's faithlessness. Amen? All right, Lord, show me every single step. Make sure everything's perfect. Go up into the land. We're going to see here in a minute that they want to make sure everything is exactly the way they want it to be before they take a step. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God had promised to give them the land. And as Christians, we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is believing and then seeing. Faithlessness is saying, show me first and then I'll believe. Have you ever met people, you witnessed to them, oh, if God would come down from the sky and show himself to me, then I'll believe, right? You ever had that before? Well, that's not faith. Faith, and the Bible says, even if an angel came, they wouldn't believe anyway. Right? Remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Go tell my brother. He said, man, even if I send an angel to him, if they won't believe the law and the prophets, if they won't believe God's word, they wouldn't believe if an angel showed up. So what happens here is we see that they're crying out and God gives them what they ask for. He says, okay, fine. Go ahead. Send them up into the land. And that's exactly what's going to happen. They're walking by sight and not by faith. And so we're going to see that they're going to go ahead and send these men in to spy out the land giving them exactly what they asked for. Verse 3. So when Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all the men who were heads of the children of Israel. So the men were sent out according again. The Lord said, go ahead. Just like he commanded them to anoint Saul, it wasn't God's perfect will. It was his permissive will. God has a perfect plan for our lives. Do you know that? Amen. He loves you so much and he has a perfect plan for your life. But will God force you to live in His will? No. You'd be a robot then. God gives you free will. You can choose to obey Him. You can choose to disobey Him. You can choose to walk in the center of His will, and you can choose to live outside of His will. And what's happening here, just like with Saul, he told them, go take the land. They said, no, not yet. We, we want to make sure that the enemy's not too big. You know, we want to find out what this land's like. You know, you got us out here marching in the wilderness eating manna. We're not going up there unless there's some good grub, you know. They've got an attitude. They're telling God what needs to happen. And so look at verse 4 on, and we're going to see again the names of these 12 men. I want you to notice two of the names. I'll just take note of them. I'm going to read all, through all of them, but I want you to notice two of them. So now these were the names of the tribe of Reuben. Shemua, the son of Zakur. The tribe of Simeon, Shaphath, the son of Horai. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Now, Judah is a tribe of whom? Of who? Jesus. Okay? Remember that? Who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? Jesus. When they marched through the wilderness, which tribe was in front? Judah. Judah also means praise. Praise should go before us, right? We should worship, we should praise and you know what, as we praise, it gives direction to our lives. And so praise go, goes before them. Judah's out in the front. And from the tribe of Judah is this man by the name of Caleb. Caleb, by the way, means dog. I don't know the significance behind that, but the only thing I could think of was the Gentiles were called dogs. And maybe it's a picture of the fact that God loves the Gentiles too. But 31 more times we're going to see his name. Let's read on. So Caleb from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, 
Hoshea, the son of Nun. Now we're going to see in a minute the significance behind that. Ephraim was the son of who? Who remembers this? Joseph. Remember that the Levites no longer had an inheritance and they were called to serve in the tabernacle, right, as priests? And so Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, each took, became one of the twelve tribes. So out of Joseph, there were actually two tribes that came from him. One was Ephraim, one was Manasseh. Joseph also is a picture of the Lord, right? Joseph, remember, remember Egypt? He was put in bondage in Egypt and he ministered to his brothers and he fed them and he cared for them. He was a godly man, Joseph. So out of Judah, you have Caleb and out of Ephraim, out of Joseph, you have Hosea. But you're going to see his name's going to change. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Rephu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gedel, the son of Sodai. From the tribe of Joseph, that is the tribe of Manasseh, this is the other half of Joseph, Gedai, the son of Susai. From the t- tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of G- Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vapshi. From the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Mashi. And then the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out the land. Now watch this. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, what? Joshua. Now we know a little bit about Joshua already. First of all, what does Joshua's name mean? The Lord is salvation, or Jehovah is salvation. Hosea just means salvation. He changed his name from salvation to Jehovah is salvation. What do we know about Joshua? Joshua was Israel's general. We know that back in Exodus 17, he went out and defeated the Amalekites. When Moses was up on Mount Sinai, who was sitting at the foot of the mountain for 40 days waiting for him? Joshua. So when they were down having this drunken brawl with the, the, the golden calf, Joshua was not there. He was up waiting for Moses to come down. He's going to become the one who succeeds Moses. Joshua, another form of that name is what? Jesus. Joshua is the same name as Jesus. And so we see that Joshua, again, is a picture of the Savior, and I'll tell you why. Because he's going to be the one that leads them into the land of promise. We're going to see in a few chapters here down the road that Moses isn't going to get to enter in because of disobedience. And Joshua is going to be able to enter in. So those are the two guys you want to pay attention to. Joshua and Caleb. So this group of guys has been called together. There's 12 of them. These are not the same 12 princes from the previous chapter. These are probably young guys who can travel a far distance in a short amount of time. They're going to go on and spy out the land and come back. It could be that they were sent out in pairs of two. They probably weren't going out 12 guys all together. They probably went out in pairs of two, spied out the land, and then came back and then would report back. So in verses 17 through 20, we're going to see Moses send them in. But watch what he asked them to look for. And this again shows you that while Moses was a mighty man of God, Moses blew it a lot, just like you and I do. Aren't you glad when you look at the Bible at these giants of the faith to see that they weren't perfect? Doesn't that encourage you? You know, David was a man after God's own heart. He was an adulterer and a murderer. But he was a man who repented. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. So no matter what you've done, you can be a man or a woman after God's own heart if you have a repented and broken heart when you sin. And so we're going to see here that Moses, well, is not, again, a, a mighty man of God is far from perfect. Then Moses said to them, verse 17, sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains. So this would be the, the closest way into Canaan. 
the south way up to the mountains, it would be a most deserted area, so they would be least detected as they entered into the land of Canaan. Verse 18. And see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some fruit of the land. Now the time was a season of the first ripe grape. So let's go back to verse 18. I have to confess to you, I was reading this today and I was getting frustrated with the Israelites. I really was. I don't very often, you know, usually I'm such a stinking sinner myself. I don't get frustrated with anybody. I got enough to deal with me, right? But I was reading this going, what is wrong with these people? Because look what Moses says. He says, go up and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. What's he trying to say? Dude, go check it out, because we got to make sure that whoever's up there, that we can take care of them. What is he showing? Faithlessness, right? Didn't God tell him? Go. This is the same Moses that held up the rod and the Red Sea parted, right? He's the same Moses that put the, you know, the, the, the rod into the water and it turned into blood. The same Moses that put his hand into his cloak and pulled it out and his leprosy and put it back in and t- took it back out and no more leprosy. It, the burning bush spoke to this guy. He went up on the mountain and saw the backside of God's glory and was glowing in the dark for the Lord and had to veil his face because people couldn't be around him because he was glowing so much. And now he says, go find out how many people are up there. I got three million whiners down here. I'm not so sure, you know. I mean, we got to go check it out and see what's up there. Is there few or many? Are they strong or weak? You know, find out for me. Again, fear of men comes when we get our eyes off of God. Does it sound like they're moving by faith or by sight? By sight. We got to see first. Then we'll go. You know, let me see, let me know that it's solid, then, then I'll step out. Lord wants us to take step one before he shows us step two, and they want to make sure everything is perfect. It's not counting the cost when God has already promised the victory, it's doubt. God had told them that the battle had been won. And he said, go find out the nature and the temper and the disposition. Tell me if these guys are healthy, if they're strong, if they have courage. Tell me how many of these guys there are. I want to know what we're getting ourselves into before we go up there. Now look at verse 19. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad. What did the Lord tell them? It's a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. He said, this is the greatest land there is. I'm taking you to the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. So when you doubt God's promises, you're doubting God. You're calling God a liar, right? God said it's a land flowing milk and honey. God said there was going to be victory. Now he's going, go find out if that land's good or not. I mean, we're out here in the dirt in the desert. We might want to just stay, right? Instead of trusting God and following in obedience, they want to hear the next step. Is the land good or is it bad? Did God lie to us earlier or was he telling the truth? This is Moses. This is Mo right here, right? This is the guy glowing in the dark for the Lord, seeing the backside of his glory, got the Ten Commandments, part of the Red Sea. Is it good land or bad? Go see if God's telling us the truth. Now, be honest, guys. How many of you, when you know God has spoken to you, have done the same exact thing? Raise your hand. God so clearly told you, I want you to go do that. Well, I, you know, I've I got to set out a fleece. Right? By the way, setting out a fleece is not faith. It's faithlessness. Amen? And I'll turn it over now. If it, you know, 
Well, now I'm going to, you know, if, if lightning doesn't strike right here, then I know you said no. I mean, you know, and you put God in all these, you know, boxes and try to make God prove himself when he just has to tell you. How many times does God have to tell you for it to be true? One. He didn't have to tell you. It just, it's true if he says it, even if you don't hear it. Amen? And so we see here that Moses, this guy, is saying, go find out if the land's good or bad. And he's sending a bunch of guys up there. Now, his first mistake was listening to the people when they said, we should go send some spies up there. Yeah, that's a good idea. And now he starts telling them, go find out if the land's good. Find out if the guys up there are yoked. Find out if they're big. Find out if they've got courage. Find out what they're like. Then it says the rest of the verse there. Whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. He's saying, now find out if they're intense like us or they got a bunch of big walls. Because if they got walls and stuff, we might have a problem. Hopefully, they're just intense like us, and they're a bunch of 82-pound weaklings. That's what I want to hear. I want you to come back and say, yeah, they're all three feet tall. They weigh 37 pounds. They got no arms. They can't fight back. And they're sleeping in tents out in the, middle, out in the open. All right, let's go, right? And the Lord doesn't work that way. You know the Lord wants to test us and try us so that our faith might grow. Amen? Without a test, there can be no testimony. And a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. If your faith can't be tested, you don't have faith. Right? And so we see here that he wants to give back this real favorable report. Then maybe we'll do something about it. Go find out. They got any walls up there? Make sure those guys aren't too big. And what's the land like anyway? He's forgotten everything God told him. You know what? When I sin, most often it's because I'm not thinking about what God's Word has told me or promised me or said to me or what the Holy Spirit's leading me to do. I get off on my own and I, I just block God out. And that's what Moses is doing here. He's focused on the physical. You know, these things all sound good from a physical perspective, don't they? I mean, before we go into a battle, let's go find out what's up there. That sounds great unless God already told you to go. You don't do a Ben Franklin with God. You know what a Ben Franklin is? Ben Franklin closes, you write a line down the middle, you write all the good things and all the bad things, and whichever side's heavier, then you go with that one. Well, here's the thing. You can have 9,000 bad things on this side. If the one thing on this side is God said, then you go anyway. Amen? And so what's happened is they're falling into this trap. And in this trap, they're looking at things from a physical perspective. Verse 20. Whether the land is rich or poor, is it fertile or barren? Well, a land flowing with milk and honey, what would you think? I'm thinking, fertile... But I forgot what God said again. I'm going on my own program. I got another plan. Is the land fertile or barren? Then look what he says. Are there forests or are there not? You know what he's asking about? Once we get there, we're going to have to build some houses. And so we're going to need some timber. So why don't you find out first, you know, I mean, is he just looking for reasons not to go almost? I just want these 47 things to be perfect. Then I'll go. Find out if there's a forest up there. You know what's funny? For a short amount of time, and I praise God it was a short amount of time, our, our previous worship leader, Javier, left. He was here for two and a half years or so, and he was a blessing, and, right? And he moved. And for a short amount of time, I don't mean to embarrass you, Kim, but Kim wasn't sure if he was supposed to be the guy or not. He was willing to fill in and see what happens when you're willing to fill in. Still filling in, okay? But here's the thing. During the meantime, the word got out that we might be looking for a worship leader. And I started getting emails and phone calls and all this stuff. And some of my phone calls started off with, so, Santa Cruz, that's like near the beach, right? Is the surf pretty good up there? Or, you know, and, and so how much does this gig pay exactly? And, and, you know, 
how big is the church? And what, you know, and, and, you know, you're not hearing anything spiritual. So what's the real estate prices like? Well, you better just hang up the phone now, right? But you, but you start getting all these physical reasons, right? What does it cost? And what are the waves like? And what are the, you know, and you know what? That's not calling. Amen? Calling is God told me I'm going and he'll work out the details. Amen? You know, God's in charge. If God calls you to do something, he will provide. Where God guides, God provides. Amen? And sometimes you go and it's going to look from the world's perspective like it makes no sense, but God told you to go, so you go anyway and you obey him. And so we see here that they're, they're kind of pulling those. So what are the waves like? Make sure there's timber up there. Find out what the people are like. Not too big, right? I don't want anybody with big walls. That's going to be tough on us if we got walls to deal with. They're forgetting who told them to go. They're forgetting who's on their side. They're forgetting that God is greater than any enemy they could ever face. And they got their eyes on the physical. Then look what he says. And this cracks me up, actually. He says, be of good courage. What kind of courage are you exhibiting right about now? Send a bunch of guys up, make sure everything's perfect, then come back and tell us and we'll see if we want to go or not. But you guys be of good courage. You 12 that are going, head on up. And you guys, we'll be back here hanging out in the desert, eating manna, having some banana bread, right? And you go, you go ahead and head on up and find out what's happening and come back. Right? Be of good courage. Not me, you guys. Be of good courage. And then he says there, and bring some fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So bring us back some fruit. And why does he want that? He wants to see what grows there. I want to know if the land is rich. I want to know what the land grows. I want to find out what the land is like so I can tell these people that they're going to have more than manna when they get there. Right? So go up, find all these things out, and once you find them out, come back. The Israelites were seeking to get the answer to every physical question before they proceeded. Is the climate to our liking? Can we defeat the enemy? Will there be difficulty in battle? Will we be able to grow our own crops? Will our food be provided for? You know, let me ask you a question. Has God been taking care of them all, all the way through? Why are they questioning Him then? Why? He's dropping food out of the sky every day. You think that would be okay? I think He's going to... Why are you asking about timber? Do you think He's going to provide a place for you if He calls you? Where God guides, God provides. Again, we're going to need to be able to have a building. And what's the weather like? And, you know, you know, and you hear this today even with church shoppers. People will call our church a lot. They hear us on the radio most frequently. They'll hear us on the radio and then they'll call. How many people in your church? Oh, you mean a gymnasium? Really? Why? You know? You know, can I tell you, and you guys are here, so I'm preaching to the choir. The church is not the building. Amen? Did the first century church have a bunch of buildings all over the place? They're meeting houses. Guys were falling out of windows. Remember Acts 23? But here's the thing. God, and, and, but what you hear is, you hear that, you know, are you going to fulfill all of my needs? I'll come to your church if you have this, 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 this. And they start, they get to about the 12th thing on the list. I don't say it, but in my heart I'm like, maybe you should find another church. You know, because we don't come here just to be fed, though we should come to be fed. We come here to minister to others. Amen? God saved you to use you. You shouldn't just be here being, you know, big fat sheep. Right? Just, right? just eat, 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 eat. Right? And never do anything. Biggest, fattest, most fed sheep in town. God saved us to use us. And we should come to church saying, how can I, Lord, minister to me. Lord, let me worship you. But Lord, how do you want to use me? What gifts have you given me? So that God can use you too. That's how it works in a healthy church, right? And so we see here that 
They've got that same problem. Show us everything, and then we'll take a step. Again, this is one of the most faithless acts I've seen in the Bible, testing God's promise instead of trusting God's promise. Let me ask you a question. In your day-to-day life, are you testing God or trusting God? Are you asking Him, show me, make sure, I want to see it. I want to, are you trusting Him? Lord, you told me, that's enough. You told me one time. God's Word, God's calling should be enough. Who in the world are we to try to question God? Do you remember when He called the apostles? What did He say to them? Okay, here's the gig, guys. We're going to go out for the next three years. And he started laying it all out for him, right? Is that what he did? He looked at him and said, drop your nets, come and follow me. And he walked away. He didn't say, and here's what it pays. We've got a great 401k plan. We've got Delta Dental, right? I mean, he, did he do that? He just said, drop your nets, come follow me. And they could either follow or not follow, right? God said follow. Now, either we want to come or do we want to, well, I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm making, you know, I'm bringing 800 fish a week over here. <laughs> You know, what kind of gig you got going for me here, right? They don't do that. It's either you see God's calling and you're obedient to the Lord, or you got physical eyes. Drop your nets, come follow me. That's what the Lord said. And, and Moses and the Israelites are making this, that mistake of, show me everything first. He's promised to provide our needs, to lead us by His Spirit, to never leave us nor forsake us, and that He will take us to heaven. What else do we need besides that? Is there anything else we need besides that? There might be things we want, but there, aren't anything, there certainly isn't anything we need. Are you testing the Lord, or are you trusting Him? Now watch the 40 days in the land, verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. So Zin was at the south end of Canaan, Rehob was in the northwest part of Canaan, and Hamath was in the northeast part of Canaan. So that means they covered all of Canaan. They went from the south end to the nor- up to the northeast end, over to the northwest end, and all the way back. They covered about 500 miles in 40 days. These guys were hoofing. They were walking around. They were checking it out. They went up to a mountainous part first. They spied out the land, and they went all around the land to check it out, to bring back to Moses what he was looking for. It says in verse 22, And they went up through the south to Hebron. Now Hebron's a city you should have heard of. It's a hill in the, in the center of Judea. It would later be where the tribe of Judah would reside. And it was the home of the Anakites. Have you ever heard of the Anakites before? What were they also known as? They were giants. Okay, Giants in the land. So these guys, some people believe that the Philistines were a part of this tribe. That's why Goliath was anywhere from nine and a half feet to eleven feet tall. Weighing between six hundred and seven hundred and fifty pounds. 11 foot, 750, that's pretty yoked, right? Physical perspective, that's a pretty big dude. Well, they knew they were there, and that's where Hebron was. And this would later, though, what's awesome to me is, you know who later inherited Hebron? Caleb. Caleb is going to be one of the spies that goes into the land, and this land of giants is going to become a land that is inherited by Caleb. And what's interesting also is David later would have the capital of Judah in Hebron when he becomes the king. And that's awesome to me because this is a place that was filled with giants that God's going to redeem and use for His glory. And as I was studying this morning, I thought about Santa Cruz. That this has been a place, you know, I had someone say to me the other day, that, oh, you mean Satan Cruz? I said, it needs Jesus. We need to pray for it. Amen? But here's the thing. God can do great things here. Amen? He can turn this place right side up. God is doing great things here. People's lives are being transformed. And praise God for that. So Hebron. Zoan, it says, and look at verse, read on, verse 22. It says, 
Athama, Sheshai, Talmai, the descendants of Anak were there. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And Zoan was a place where the uh, pharaoh would vacation. It was like a hidden territory where they would vacation. You, you, and again, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, so this shouldn't surprise us. But no doubt it was beautiful, because if the pharaoh was taking a vacation there, you know it's nice, right? And so this is a land at, a resort that pharaoh had built for himself. And so they're traveling through the land. They're going all over the land, touching every foot of it. Verse 23. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol and cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they carried it between the two of them on a pole. How big were these grapes? You got two guys with a pole carrying one cluster of grapes. Now, I thought about, you ever see like they have these pumpkin growing contests sometimes on TV? They got pumpkins like the size of a Toyota. You ever seen those? Right? And I'm thinking, this is a land flowing with milk and honey that God's put his hand on. How big were these grapes? I started wondering, are they like, you know, the size of like apples? Or are they like the size of bowling balls, right? These are some big grapes. You know, I've got a pole with two guys carrying one cluster of grapes. Wow, that's pretty awesome, right? There's definitely some fruit in the land. You know the sad part is? Most of the people that wanted all these questions answered, matter of fact, all of them, outside of Caleb and Joshua, are never going to get into the land because of their rebellion and their unbelief. They're going to miss out on God's blessing. Not only did they bring back grapes, but they also brought back pomegranates and figs. And I find this interesting because grapes, what do they make out of grapes? Wine. Wine is a picture of what? Blood of Christ. Pomegranates. Those of you who were here back when we were looking at Exodus. Pomegranates were on the, the hems of the garments of the, uh, the priest. Remember that? And a pomegranate, we talked about this, it's the, it's the fruit that has the, the most seeds in it of any fruit that exists. And it's got a blood red color inside of it, right? And so it's this, the most incredible fruit there is, and it's all blood red on the inside. Again, a picture to me of the blood of Christ. They've got it hanging on the, the pomegranates, and it reproduces itself more than any other fruit because it has more seeds. When it falls into the ground, it makes more fruit than anything else. And then a fig tree is the only tree on the planet that keeps growing until it dies. It never stops growing until it dies. And some fig trees live to be a couple of thousand years old. So isn't it interesting that they bring back grapes and pomegranates and figs, and a fig tree is a representation of what in Scripture? Israel. Isn't that interesting? So you think it's by chance you brought back grapes and pomegranates and figs? No. That was in the land of promise, and those things in varying ways all point to the Savior. So they bring back this fruit. Look at verse 24. It says, Eshcol, because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. Eshcol means cluster. Verse 25. And they returned from spying out the land after how many days? Forty days. Now, forty in the Bible is a number of testing, and it's also the number of judgment. Now, it's interesting. They spent forty days spying out the land. How many years are they going to spend wandering in the wilderness? Forty. Isn't it interesting? When you look at forty, it's testing and judgment together. David and Goliath. How many days did Goliath come down and challenge the Israelites to come out and fight him? Forty. It was a test for the Israelites, and it was judgment for the Philistines, right? Because David went out there and said, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? Pink, right? Those of you guys going to Israel with us, we're going to be in the Valley of Elah, and we're going to see this spot where David took the head off of an 11-foot, 750-pound guy because he was a puny guy against the creator of the universe, and he didn't understand that, right? Noah's Ark. It was a test for Noah, wasn't it? Build an ark. 
120 years building a boat and it never rained before. You want to talk about a test, right? But it was also judgment for those who denied the Lord, right? Those who didn't get in the ark, what happened to them? They all drowned. What about when Jesus was out in the wilderness? How many days was he out in the wilderness without eating? 40. He was tempted by the devil, right? In a sense, he was testing the Lord. But who was it that got judged? Satan did. Amen? He couldn't get the Lord to do it. And now we see the same thing here. They go in for 40 days to spy out the land, and now the judgment that's going to be upon them is 40 years wandering in the wilderness because they didn't just trust God when he said go. I said go. Why do you have to go send spies up there? You don't trust me? You don't believe me? You don't know that I know what is best for you? Our God is a great and an awesome God, and we need to learn to trust Him when He says go. 40 days of testing and 40 days of God's judgment wandering in the wilderness. Verse 26 through 33, the spies are going to come back and give their account of what happened in the land. And now they separated and came back, they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them all, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. So the first thing they do is they show up and are showing them the, the fruit. Now you can imagine, these guys were whining about eating manna. Showing up with potentially bowling ball shaped grape, sized grapes, you think these guys might have been a little excited. No doubt. Look what we got. This is awesome. Pomegranates and grapes and figs. It's incredible. Verse 27. Then they told them and said, We went into the land where you sent us. It, is, it truly flows with milk and honey, and there is its fruit. Now, it truly flows with milk and honey. You know what? God told the truth. He told us it flows with milk and honey. We went up there. Guess what? It flows with milk and honey. It truly flows with milk and honey. I also want you to see something here. How do they, how do they refer to the land, these spies? The land where what? Where you sent us. Just keep that in mind. In a couple of verses, I'll tell you why. The land where you sent us. So they've traveled about 500 miles. They come back after surveying the land. And again... They haven't discovered anything they didn't already know. Didn't God tell them it was flowing with milk and honey? Yep. He already told them it was a good land, right? Yep. They've gone up there, spent 40 days, traveled 500 miles. What have they found out? Nothing they didn't already know. Let's keep reading, because they're still going to find out more stuff that they should have already known. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, does this sound like faith or sight? Dude, we've seen them and they're big. There's no three-foot guys with no arms up there living in tents. These guys are giants living in fortified cities. I'm telling you, it's going to be rough. Right? These guys are whining about the manna. What do you think they're talking about with fortresses up there? I knew it! Should have stayed in Egypt. We're going to see that next chapter. Next week, you're going to see exactly that. We should have just stayed in Egypt. they got fortresses up there and giants. We're in trouble. We've got a bunch of Goliaths up there. And, you know, man, all we've been eating is manna. They're probably all full of meat ready to kill us. Right? They're moaning and they're complaining instead of trusting God. And we're going to see that next week. It's interesting. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, he had told them that there would be these exact people in the land. He named them. He named them. If you remember, I, I read the chapter to you. He named all the people that were in the land. He said, it's the land of the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Hivites, right? And they went up there and said, guess what? The Jebusites are up there. Well, duh. 
Did you read Exodus? You know, right? Remember what Moses told us? It's a land flowing with milk and honey, and all these tribes are there, just like the Lord told us. 500-mile trek to find out that God was right. Right? Have you ever done that? You test God, and oh, yeah, you know, God was right. He told me not to do that, and I did it anyway, and God was right. Surprise. I'm glad that God's always right. He's a faithful God. And again, the word's getting out about the enemy. The people are strong, the cities are large and walled, and they got many, many, many wicked nations there. And men, and you can imagine the camp. These guys already whine about not having meat. They're just, you know, they're falling out over fortress cities and giants. I mean, that's something you, you might want to, oh, that is heavy, right? These guys are whining big time. Verse 30. Now look at this. You gotta look. This is one of my new favorite guys, right? As we've been reading through. You've got to love Caleb. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Go, Caleb. Right? Caleb says, Dude, who's on our side? Me plus God is a majority. These guys are toast. This is like David, right? When David saw 11 foot 750, every time the guy came down, you know, I defy the armies of Israel. Send out, right? Everybody went, right? And then David showed up. He's delivering cheese to his brothers. He's a milkman. That's what it says in the text. He's bringing cheese to his brothers. Here's this guy. I defy the army. Like, he walks out. Who's this guy? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine coming against the creator of the universe? I'll fight him. His brothers go, David, go home and take care of the sheep. David's like, no, I'll, I'll tear him up. He did, too. What did he tell Goliath before he killed him? The bird's going to be eating your carcass this day. David said that before he killed him. Why? Because he trusted God. He said, he looked and saw Almighty God against mere man. Everybody else saw a big guy against a little man. They didn't realize that God was on their side. They weren't trusting the Lord and His promises. And the same thing's happening here. Caleb says, hey, God's on our side. He told us to take the land. He told us that it already belongs to us. We just got to go up there and obey Him. We'll wipe those guys out. Everybody they're big. They're really big. They got big walls. We got tents, man. We've been eating manna. There's no way. We can't do it. You know what? Those who have faith will always be outnumbered by those who have none. Isn't that true? Ten spies come back whining. Two come back and say, let's go get them. That's the way it is in the world. You're going to have faith that God can do it. People are going to go, dude, you must be out of your mind. There's no way. You can't do it. You're going to quit your job. You're going to do this. You're going to move. What are you talking about? You must be crazy. Caleb was a faithful man amidst a faithless generation, and we need more Caleb's today. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 31. But the men who had gone up said to him, We're not able to go up against these people, for they're stronger than us. Faithlessness. Faithlessness always results in the fear of man. These men were walking by sight, not by faith. They didn't trust God. They looked at their own, you know, they looked in their bank account and saw their bill and said, we're done. Didn't trust God. They looked at their circumstances and said, God couldn't possibly overcome this. Does God know everything about your life right now? Does He know your financial situation? Does He know your health? He knows the troubles in your marriage, the things with your kids, or whatever it might be. He knows it all, doesn't He? And He loves you, and He's faithful. Give your marriage to Him. Give your kids to Him. Give your job to Him. Give your, Lord, I trust you. Take all of it. It belongs to you. Last two verses. Then they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone. Now, how do they describe the land here? The land through which we have gone. How do they describe it in 27? 
the land where you sent us. What do they think of this land? The land where you sent us, the land through which we have just gone. How should they have described the land? The land God gave us. Amen? Shouldn't they say, the land God gave us is flowing with milk and honey, just like he said, and there's some enemies up there, but it's God's stuff, and let's go. Right? Instead, they said, the land you sent us to, and the land that we just went through, it's no good. There's giants up there. Though there'll be giants in the land, I will not be afraid. Right? And so we see here that these guys are faithless. They say, the land through which we have gone... Gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw are men of great stature. And we saw giants. It's not like a four-year-old's telling the story or something. There were some really big people up there, man. You should have seen it, right? Faithless. There are giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their sight. We're just little wimpy grasshoppers compared to the people up there. They're just going to squash us like bugs, man. If we go up there with a raid, they're going to spray some on us, right? And so these guys are afraid. J- J- Joshua and Caleb saw the fruit. The ten spies saw the foes. Joshua and Caleb had faith in God. The ten spies had fear of men. The ten spies saw the size of the enemy. Joshua and Caleb saw the greatness of their God. When you look at your trials and the difficulties in your life, are you looking at them with physical eyes and seeing the, the, the greatness of the trial? Out of the greatness of your circumstances? Or do you look at them through spiritual eyes and realize the greatness of your God? Our God is greater than everything. Amen? He's great and an awesome God. They said, we are not able. That's a statement of unbelief. What do they say? Our God is able. Our God's able. He can do it. Can God turn Santa Cruz County upside down? Absolutely. Can He turn Santa Cruz into a place that's known for being a godly county? Yeah, He can. Amen? You might say, oh man, Pastor Dave, that's a big job. Yeah, it is. But God can do it. Not big to him. Starts with us. May we be faithful. Faith can only be as strong as what you put your faith in. Right? Our faith needs to be in the Lord. We're continually faced with a series of great opportunities and divine appointments disguised as trials and unsolvable problems. But remember again that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. We go through difficulty that our faith might grow. I'm sure we could do it if we had time. I could go around the room and have people stand up and say... I went through this, and I'll never forget it, and it transformed my faith in God. I trust in Him even more now. Amen? And when it was coming, I was scared to death, but when it happened, I looked back and go, wow, thank you, God. Because I went through that, and through that I grew. Without a test, there can be no testimony. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. The ten spies in Israel failed miserably because though they had repeatedly witnessed God's promise, they didn't trust in what He had told them. And unbelief is serious. Why? Because it doubts the God of the universe. I want to close with one interesting note. It said here that we are like grasshoppers. You know in Isaiah 40, 22, it says this, It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who sits above the circle of the earth? God does. By the way, the circle of the earth, written in Isaiah, do you know that for hundreds of years after Isaiah was written, the, everybody on the planet still thought that the world was flat? The Hindus thought that the world was flat and it was on the back of a big elephant. The people in Greek mythology thought that Zeus was holding up this big flat planet. The Bible says in Isaiah that he sat around the, over the circle of the earth. People say, oh man, well the Bible, you know, it's old. Now. No, no, God's word proves science, amen? It proves it. 
And you know what it says in Job? That nothing is holding it up. Job 26. So the circle of the earth and nothing holds it up. The Hindus said, oh yeah, it's on a big pachyderm. It's flat and it's just moving around. You know, the, the Greeks said, oh yeah, Zeus is holding it up and it's flat. And the Bible says, no, it's a circle and nothing is holding it up. God is holding it up in His hand. I love that. You know what? Without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please God. In Romans 13, it says, forever is not faith is sin. So in review, faith in God or fear of man? Learning to trust in God's promises. As we saw in the text tonight, the faithless will always outnumber the faithful. Don't, bad company corrupts good morals, you guys. Amen? You run around and get counsel from unbelievers, you're going to get ungodly counsel. And they're going to say, dude, you can't do it. Man, you must be outside your mind. Don't do that. If God tells you, go for it. Amen? Confirm it in the word, Lord. I'm going. It may not make sense. And you know what? Here, I, I've told you this before. Pastor Don, some of the greatest advice, he gave me a lot of great advice, but some of the greatest advice he ever gave me was this when I came to Santa Cruz. He said, Dave, make sure that you know that you know that you know that you've been called to Santa Cruz. He said, because if you don't know for sure, the first problem that comes, you've got two problems. The problem you're facing, and was I ever supposed to be here to begin with? But if you know that God called you when the problem comes, it doesn't matter because God called me. And he knew I was here, and it's his problem, it's not mine. Amen? They start telling you, oh, you're going to lose the bill. Oh, this, that's okay. God, you brought me here. It's yours. You told me to come. I'm just walking in obedience. It's your church, not mine. Lord, I trust you. And that, that's faith. It's learning to trust God and know that when we're called, it doesn't matter what men say, it matters what God says. The ten spies feared man. Joshua and Caleb had faith in God, and they trusted in his promise. So, Practically, how can you and I remain faithful in the midst of a very faithless generation? I just gave you a couple things that are here. Number one, remain desperate for God. Don't ever think you can do it on your own. Moses made that mistake in this chapter. You stay desperate for Him. Wake up in the morning, yes, Lord. Spend your day seeking His face. When temptations come, say, Lord, help me. It's a great prayer, amen? Stay desperate for Him. By knowing and trusting the things that He has promised us, by having a deep and intimate relationship with Him, by being filled with His Holy Spirit. So what is it that makes our faith grow? What makes faith grow? What's the theme verse of this church? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and? Hearing by the Word of God. You want your faith to grow? Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? Open this thing up and spend time in it every day and your faith will absolutely grow. I have people say that to me before. You know, Dave, I wish I had faith like you. I said, well, then just read this. It's not a mystery. Spend time in God's Word and your faith will grow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word and we thank You that You are a gracious and a merciful God, that even when we're faithless, You are faithful. And I pray, Father, though, that You would help us in the midst of a faithless generation to be faithful men and women, to keep our eyes on You, not to have to have every single step planned out, but Lord, just to say, Lord, show me what, what step number one is, Lord, and I'll trust you for the rest. Father, I pray we'd be like Joshua and Caleb, that we, that we would not see things with physical eyes and fear of men, but we would see things through spiritual eyes and have faith in God. Lord, we trust you. We put our lives in your hands. What better place can we put our lives than in your hands? Where else can we go but to you? Who else can we follow but you? Who else has the words of life? And Father, I pray for all of us, Lord, you'd help us to hunger more for your word, that our faith might increase, Lord, and we might have an impact on the world around us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. I do lift up Santa Cruz County to you, Lord. I pray bring revival here.
Father, may it start first in our hearts. May we have a supernatural love for this county that so desperately needs you. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close.